This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by Black Belt CBD. If you're into CBD products or, or you want to try CBD products for the very first time, Go to blackbeltcbdproducts.com, use promo code THEPODCAST25, they ship within North America. You do not ingest this, you do not smoke this, this is, this is strictly rub-ons and lotions and sort of that stuff, and it's less than 1% THC, very high CBD, it helps with inflammation, it's not only for your athlete, but your everyday blue-collar worker works wonders as well. If you're into nerd culture, or you like collectibles, or into sports memorabilia, visit firstworld.ca, this is First World Collectibles, use promo code THEPODCAST20, they ship with also within North America, but to all you American listeners, it's a little bit cheaper rate, because everything you see there is in Canadian funds, they update daily, like I mentioned, they have sports memorabilia, they have wrestling figures, they have comic books, anything literally a nerd needs or wants is right there at that website. And if you want to support me directly, please visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on your device. It's embedded right there in today's description. Click on that link. It takes you right to my merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to onesies to coffee mugs to my guest's favorite, COVID masks. We'll probably get into that too. <laughs> Literally everything you need or want is there. But if you don't want to support me directly or monetarily, the most easiest thing you could do it takes you two seconds, free of charge, rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, most specifically Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week's guest has fought in King of Cage, Bellator, and the UFC, retired mixed martial artist Sean McCorkle. That's me. What's going on, my friend? How are you today? Been same old, same old, man. Just got done looking at a house. I'm in the process of buying a house with... Uh like a farm almost with it's a nice house but like uh got 20 acres a pond a lot of stuff and since i'm officially like i don't even have a job really like it's probably not a good uh probably not a good idea to be buying a house right now during the worst economic times in modern history but uh that's yeah. just kind of way i live my life so i uh i'm always back with what everyone else is doing so are you officially retired is that that's it you're never gonna have a fight again you're done you hung them nah, up man, i mean unless i mean the money would have to be people have asked me about bare knuckle boxing i told mm. my start even to I started to listen to it at 100 grand, so they'd have to be talking to me about that before 
I'd even listen to it because I've got to, I've had back injuries, man. Like you cannot, I mean, you cannot believe the back injuries I've got. I've got, to, I've been living in hell for about eight years with my back. It is. Um, I've been to Germany to try to fix it. Uh, I went to the same doctor that you know Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, Mike Tyson. I got there. David yeah. Hasselhoff was there. George Clooney, Jennifer Lopez, like every famous person in the world was there yeah. um, to get it done. It was uh, Dana White actually told me about it. Uh, he's they they fixed his Meniere's disease with it. Oh wow! And uh, it was funny when I asked Dana about it. He was he. I said, I wonder if they could fix my back because I, mean, I was just miserable, man. And. Uh, they said, uh, and doctors won't give you pain pills hardly at all anymore because then they think you're a drug addict. So yeah. um, I was like, no, no, I sell those when you give them to me. I would never get addicted. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I, uh, yeah, so I went over to Germany. It's funny, I asked Dana White how much it was. He'd had the procedure done five times. I was talking to him on the phone. He goes, oh, I don't have any idea. And I said, well, I mean, is it 10000 or 100000 or 500000 You don't know. He goes, I don't no clue. I couldn't begin to tell you. Oh, shit. I remember thinking, man, it must be nice to have so much money <laughs> that you can have a medical procedure done five times and you don't know what it costs. Wow. Like, you don't know if it's a half million dollars. You don't know because insurance doesn't pay for it, you know. So it's like uh, right. it ended up being about $20,000. But, uh, yeah, it must, uh, it must be nice just to be able to get whatever done whenever and not ever look at a price tag. But had that done, it worked for a couple of years, man. I mean, at 50% pain reduction, but it's back now again. So I'm pretty much... Miserable all day, every day. Like, I'm as miserable as Brendan Schaub's comedy career uh, on a daily basis. <laughs> there it is. I was wondering when he was going to come up. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't take long. Okay, well, before we get into your career, and I'm sure you're going to drop more Schaub stuff throughout the show, but okay. I'm sure people who listen to you on MMA Rosa Podcast, shout out to Adam for a great show that he has over there and that you have been appearing recently on. What? Where, where did this all start? Where did this all uh, animosity came from? Take us from the start here. On uh, Brittany Schaub, it was, um, I mean, from the very beginning, man, when um, when I would get mentioned in interviews back in the day, like if anybody asked, he would always have something cocky to say about me. Never to my face or in person because I challenged him several times. Like asked him, like, I was up, for example, Spike TV had me audition for some show that was basically going to be Tosh.0 but with only fight videos, right? Oh, okay. So they flew me out to audition for it, and uh, I'm sitting there auditioning with uh, Adam. We were going to, like, both audition as a team right. we're, we're reading through I actually wrote my own jokes because their jokes were so terrible I didn't even want to be on on camera saying them like that's how bad their jokes were right. so I came up with my own jokes which were so good that they asked me if I wanted to write the show instead of host it and uh, they ended up telling me they'd give me $2,000 an episode and they were going to film 24 episodes over a three month span I was like absolutely like I'll, right. I'll write it for that but um, they couldn't believe I wrote, I wrote all the jokes on the plane right out there so in three hours I wrote like 15 jokes for the show nice. that were all killer man like it was just like, well, there were these two guys with long hair fighting, and I was like, at least we need to finally know why White Snake broke up, like things like that. You know, like I had like all kind of awesome <laughs> jokes. And uh, right. so I'm sitting there auditioning with Adam, and it's supposed to be quiet on this. It's at um, Adam Corolla's facility out there where he does his podcasts and stuff. And uh, we're out there. All of a sudden, I hear a door open, like a service door, and I hear, <laughs> God, douche, or something real hard to take or listen to. Sure. And I was like, who is that, man? Like, why does he make so much noise? And sure enough, it's Brendan Schaub walking in telling super lame jokes and uh, Brian oh. Callen's with him. So right. um, I'm still doing my thing with Adam kind of distracted because they're making noise and I hear, Oh man, this guy like that or whatever. And I stopped in the middle. I think I said, what'd you say? Like in the middle of the audition. Oh, shit. And he was like, huh? I said, what did you say something about me? And he was like, no, nah, man, he's just looking down at his Gucci boots or gay shoes. He's wearing like, uh, he right. just kept looking down or whatever. And I was like, yeah, let me know if you got something to say, dude. And uh, he didn't have anything to say the rest of the time. But uh, I ended up reading with Brian Callen. And uh, I started, I kept calling Brian gay and was just tearing him up. And he was dying laughing. And he's like, uh, Cal's like, dude, you're really, really funny. He said, like, you're a fighter? And I was like, yeah. He goes, man, you ought to be a comedian, which killed Shaw. You could just see the, 
jealousy all over his face. Like, yeah, I thought he was turned into a hole. Turned out he was just green with envy. But uh, he was just devastated that um, he's doing that. So same thing on Rogan's podcast. Joe Rogan was talking about how funny I am. Uh, I've got a video clip of it. Someone sent it to me. Rogan keeps talking about how funny I am. And all shops can only comment is, he's still alive? Like, that's all he said. Like, he, he just always has something to say, but never in person to me, ever. So back when the whole thing really started, when Matt Mitchell was going to fight him, Oh. Um, and Matt's like, hey, can you give me some lines to tear up Shab with? We're going back and forth. And I said, is he cool with whatever, or do I need to keep it PG? Like, what sure. do we need to do? And Matt's like, no, man, he said everything's whatever, so it's cool. So my first joke was that he looked like Adam Sandler with Down syndrome. Like, that was my first joke. <laughs> oh my and uh, I said something else. And so he calls Matt up, upset, and tells Matt, man, well, I just break family until you're getting personal. And Matt's like, oh. I gave McCorkle my Twitter password. He must have done it, as mm. if I was the one that did it. Like, Matt throwing me under the bus, right? Sure. So, um, so he was like, yeah, well, tell him this and that, like trying to talk trash to me. And I was like, I'll smack. Britain Shop could not beat me in a fight. If I was crippled, he couldn't beat me in a fight. Like, nobody wow. that's that much of a pussy could beat me in a fight. The fact that he has a win over Crow Cop is as ridiculous as me having a win over Mark Hunt. Like, that's just about the same level of ridiculousness. <laughs> but um, that's the first one I could think of. But, no, the fact that he beat Crow Cop is a joke, man. And, uh he just sucks, but yeah, it's been on ongoing. He's always got something to say about me, unless I'm there in person. And I don't like guys that. I have no problem with people like, say, Tori Spelling. You're probably old enough to remember her, of course, uh, from Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two. Her dad owned the show, right. so if she's on the show and she knows she's on the show because of who her dad is, I have no problem. But if she thought it was because of her ex- excellent, amazing talent, <laughs> and if, oh, I, I auditioned under a, fl- a fake name, like, yeah, I'm sure they didn't know who you were, you know, whatever, right. like when they say that stuff. But Shab, the problem with Shab isn't that he's not funny. There's a lot of people that aren't funny. The problem is that Shab thinks he's the second coming of Richard Pryor. Mm. And the only thing he has in common with Richard Pryor is they'll probably both die of AIDS. Like, that's the, uh, I don't know if Richard Pryor Ouch. died of AIDS. I'm just assuming. Ouch. But that's the, uh, that's the only uh, thing he has in common with Richard Pryor. He's not funny at all, but he thinks he is. And uh, he's unoriginal. Like, he, he tries to dress and act like Dave Chappelle when he does a stand-up. It's a stand-up comedy special. I don't know if you've seen that. No. But, uh, dude, I, I, I looked it up on um, Amazon the other day. Okay. And it said, people who bought this also bought a rickety stool and a noose. Oh, because, like, I wanted to hang myself the whole time I was watching. It was the worst, the worst thing I've ever... I mean, I've seen some... Dude, I've seen some terrible things. It was the worst mm-hmm. thing... I've ever seen like uh, he. This is this is a Britain shop. This is literally. I'll give you a couple jokes from his special. Okay. Swear to God, these are jokes. Sure. So, uh, gas stations in Texas are different, man. These are the this place where people go. And my brother was there, and uh, I pulled up to get gas, and we were in a Mini Cooper, and everybody was looking at us weird, and they all got trucks there. And so my brother went in to get a drink, and I said, "Hey, uh, give me a Slurpee." That's his punchline. What? And then he's like, and that, that's it. And he's like, he's dying. He's hitting the mic against his thigh like Dave Chappelle. And I'm like, I, what was funny about that? I don't get it. And then wow. he's got another joke where he's like, hey, have you guys seen this uh, Leaving Neverland, this Michael Jackson? Uh, actually, when I do Shab's voice, it's normally like, hey, you guys see this uh, Leaving Neverland uh, special? What's up with that, right? What the fuck? <laughs> that's his punchline. What the fuck? Right. Hey, what about this R. Kelly surviving R. Kelly video? What the fuck? Like, it reminds me of... Uh, you're probably too young, or your listeners might be, but um, back when uh, on Cheers, when Cliff, the mailman, decided to be a stand-up comedian, yeah. there was an episode where he would just say a topic and say, what's up with that? Like, yes. that's his, like his punchline and everything, so he'd yeah, be like, gotcha. hey, yeah, yeah. politics, what's up with that? Like, that was just, you know, his thing, and so that's how Shab is with what the fuck. It's just, oh he can God. come up with any topic, like, what about this COVID? What the fuck? Like, that would be his, <laughs> you know, punchline, but he just, if he knew he wasn't funny and knew he was only where he is because... He blows Joe Rogan on a daily basis. Like, oh. then I would have no problem with it. Like, I, you know, 
uh, don't have a problem, but he really genuinely believes, and he's a sociopath. Man. Like, I've seen him laugh talking about, um, you know, an 11-year-old boy that got molested by his teacher. He's like, oh, he probably liked it. Like, mm-hmm. I would have loved it if it was me, um, you know, or whatever. Um, and then he's talking about a little 10-year-old girl got her leg snapped. And as you just determined, he's like, that was the best thing I ever saw. Like, that's what you get, bitch. Should try a girl sport, you know, or whatever. Like, just saying stuff like, I've never thought it was funny seeing a 10-year-old kid get hurt. With the exception of my 10-year-old red-headed Russian neighbor kid that I can't stand. But uh, that was only because I hit him with my car on purpose, and that was funny. That was a whole other story. He was running next to me in the snow. Somehow I'm driving 15 miles an hour. He's keeping up with me and waving, like just putting his face in the thing, waving the whole time. So I just crept my car over just a little bit to hit him and knocked him down. But... Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was the only time the time I saw a little kid and I, we had a pinata and I got him hit with the bat too. Like by putting him like blindfolded somebody and directing them in his direction, but he deserved it. That kid sucks. <laughs> then it was Ollie. Then it was Ollie, a redheaded Russian kid. And he, uh, he's now, uh, he's now in jail for cocaine, uh, oh, shit. distribution. So it, uh, it all comes back around. Oh, there you go. <laughs> all right. I don't know how I ended up on a redheaded cocaine dealer, but. Hey, it's all good. It's all good, my friend. So, okay, so what got you into fighting? What was that? Because uh, you were an athlete in college and throughout high school and stuff, but obviously back then, MMA wasn't the yeah. big thing, right? So what was the thing that got you into it? No, man, it was it was weird because I watched the UFCs when they first came out. I was 17 or 18. I remember watching them with my dad. I always watched boxing growing up with my dad, but my dad was right. weird. He never, wanted, uh, he never wanted me to play football. He begged oh. me not to play football when I got older. In high school and uh, college, I even had off- I had offers having not played in high school just based on my athleticism and size right. to play you know smaller Division One colleges. They said, "We'll teach you how to play football." They just they'd see me play basketball, and I graduated like six seven six 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 seven, probably two hundred seventy pounds. Uh, <laughs> you know, thirty six inch vertical leap, thirty seven inch vertical leap. Like I was an athletic dude, right. and uh, I always liked basketball better. My dad didn't want me to play, so I played basketball in college for a couple of years. Didn't want to play anymore. Started my own business. Um, I told my brother, oddly enough, we started a business together when I was 22, and I said, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to try to fight the UFC. Mm. And he's like, you're, you're crazy. Those dudes would kill you. I was like, I just don't think they would, man. I said, I think I could fight with those dudes. And he was mm. like, I mean, you're nuts. They know jiu-jitsu. They know this and that. I was like, I just, I know me. I know I, w- I got a lot of balls. I wouldn't give up, you know, and I think I could learn how to fight pretty quick. Sure. So fast forward nine years or eight years, me and him are, I sell my business out to him. I'm 29, I think almost 30 at that time. Um, and I sold my business out. I had enough money. I never had to work again if I didn't want to. Oh, so I um, started uh, taking a jiu-jitsu class for fun, and I submitted the teacher the first day I was there, this Brazilian guy. that He was only probably 175, 180 pounds, but right. he is a black belt, like three-stripe, black belt, four-stripe, whatever. I submitted him to first class, boxed with some guys, did fairly well with them for having never boxed before, and uh, they talked me into Chris Light and Jake O'Brien, who both fought in the UFC train there. They taught me to take a fight like eight months later, and, I won in 20 seconds and then just kept going from there, man, and uh, just kept winning. And then I hurt my back originally really bad and took three years off, didn't fight at all. And then when my ex-wife uh, attempted to ruin my entire life by oh. spending all my money and sent me up 10 different ways, um, I actually started fighting for money at that point. I was uh, I was already, I think, 6 or 7-0, and oh, so I fought three or four more times. I uh, got to 11 or 12-0, and, oh, and um, I think, I think no, 10-0. And then, or maybe, I don't know, let them know, the UFC then called me mm. and uh, said, do you want to fight in the UFC when we come to Indianapolis? Actually, Monty Cox called before the UFC. Okay. I had met him at Tim Sil- one of Tim Sylvia's fights, and I helped Sylvia get ready for it. Mm. And uh, he said, you want to fight in the UFC when they come to Indianapolis in September? And I was like, not really. <laughs> and he started laughing. He's like, why not? I said, I don't want to get beat up for $3,000. Like, I just don't. It ain't oh, worth it, you know? And right. I was like, although I was 10 or 11 and 0, I knew how tough those guys were, you know? Sure. 
And he goes, well, they can do a lot more than that. And he came back, said they could probably do like six and six. I was like, nah, that's not enough, man, because my medicals alone will cost me three. Mm. You know, I'm still getting beat up for $3,000, you know? Right, right. And uh, so he, they get eight and eight. A fortnight contract, it was eight and eight. Then it goes to 10 and 10 if you win, 12 and 12 if you win that one, 14, 14 if you win that one. It goes up in increments of two. If you lose, you stay at the same pay rate. Uh-huh. And I still didn't know who I was going to fight. And I was like, well, who am I going to be fighting? And they said, well, another first-time UFC guy, whoever it is. And I said, well, you're not going to sit me in there with a killer, right? Like, I don't want to – like, oh, no, we wouldn't do that to you. Yeah, I said, right. I don't want to get served up to somebody just to make them look good, you know? Sure. No, first-time UFC guy, whoever it will be. I was like, cool. So then two weeks later, after I've already signed my agreement, my bout agreement, or I signed my contract, a bout agreement comes over and it says, Mark Hunt is my opponent. <laughs> Crazy. I sat and I looked at it for like 10 minutes, just kept looking at it, and I was like, huh, I know that isn't Mark Hunt from Pride. Like, they must be talking to Mark Hunt from, like, Iowa, like some wrestler or something, right? So yeah. I Google other Mark Hunts in MMA. I come up with nothing. Okay. Um, so I called Body, then, who's my agent at that time. I signed with him. I said, hey, that's not Mark Hunt from Pride, is it? He's like, well, it is, but if you get him off his feet, you should be good. And I was like, but if I don't, there could be a problem, Bonnie. And he was like... Well, I think you'll be able to take him down. I was like, yeah, but again, if I don't, we're looking at, it's going to be trouble, man. I said, I can't stand up with that guy. And um, he talked me into doing it. And I thought, well, if I'm going to lose, might as well lose big. You know, this is not anything that's shamed up. You lose to Mark Hunt. So then I uh, went in and fought him. And for some reason, the calmest I'd ever been, I literally felt like I had nothing to lose. Oh, Um, makes sense. So, yeah, I had lost everything, lost all my money. I was a retired millionaire. Through the divorce, I lost all my money, lost everything, man. Lowest point of my life when the UFC called. So, um, I just went in and figured, like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I had nothing to lose, so I went out and beat him really fast, and that changed my life overnight, man. It was, uh, they played on Spike TV, so they had 10,000 Facebook friend requests. I had a big following, you know, on other social media. I kind of already had a social media following because I had been trolling on the underground for years. Right. As, uh, like, I was the guy, I don't know if you ever heard about the Matt Hughes book review I wrote, but I reviewed Matt Hughes' book, yeah. and, yeah, that uh, got 750,000 views the first day. Wow. Um, I made up a bunch of lies about, well, some of them were lies, some of them were true. I made up a bunch of stories and, uh, it took off and, uh, ended up making me well known. Like people still all the time, they'll, will see me and they'll yell out underground as opposed to UFC or whatever. Like they know me wow. from the underground forum where I used to tell my tales. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I started out with that and then, uh, then I shit the bed against Stefan Struve and it kind of all went downhill from there. But, um, Past that, it was, uh, yeah, it changed my life, man. I'm glad I did it. My dad hated it because he didn't want me to play football, let alone fight. Right. But uh, I told him, you know, I hate, I always hated fighting. I just like everything that came with it, you know, like all the, everything got me, a lot of stuff comes along with it. I just, I like that part. I hated the fighting part. So I figured if I have to fight three times a year to get everything else, I'll just, you know, bite down my mouthpiece and absorb that 45 minutes a year and then not have to have a regular job the rest of the year, you know, so. That's crazy. And like going back to that Mark Hunt fight, you debuted there and it was in your hometown. And the one thing that still boggles my mind, obviously you're a huge fellow yourself, six foot seven, I believe. You cut down to 265. Yeah, I was 325 when they called me. So, my God. Um, I was 325 and almost had abs, like getting abs because I was getting in real good shape. And when they yeah. called me, I said, I don't, I don't know if I can do 50 pounds, man. I said, I just don't know if I can do that. I had to weigh 265 since I was 16, you know? Oh and I knew I, could do, I knew I could do 20 the final day just from other wrestlers that teach me how to cut but i was like i don't know if i can do you know the other whatever 35 in a period of you know 11 weeks or 10 weeks whatever they gave me of course and uh so i started out the first four weeks i probably only lost four pounds like it wasn't working i was i knew not to eat carbs and stuff like that but it wasn't really working and then uh i got with a guy named joe mobarecki who was he's been mr indiana a couple times he's a bodybuilder guy but great trainer he got me on a really specific diet um told me quit lifting weights i was too had too much muscle on me. Mm. Um, we did it. Well, he did my condition, everything, and he got me down. I lost 
in seven weeks' time, I was down like 45 pounds in seven weeks and oh, wow. looking amazing. Of course, I may have had some human growth hormone and uh, testosterone and Winstrol <laughs> help also and Anavar, but that's a whole nother, uh, well. no Winstrol because that stage of system also, just Anavar test and uh, HGH, which helped. Maybe a little Cytomel to <laughs> increase my metabolism, things like that. But um, it's, uh, yeah, other than that, I, uh, I got down quick and then I cycled off everything and they didn't even drug test me. So that was uh, very disappointing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I could have stayed on the whole time. So, um, yeah, because that's but, what uh, I was going to ask too. Like back then, there wasn't USADA and all that, right? So, no, how was the drug I've testing back been, then? I've never been drug tested after a fight. Never, never for steroids, never for drugs, sure. never for anything. And uh, it always irritated me when I wouldn't get drug tested because I, would, I was on testosterone anyway through a doctor way before I ever started fighting because I have real okay. low testosterone. Wow. Just genetically, they said sure. from head trauma, most likely, oh, wow. as a child, which makes sense. But um, mm. I was uh, I was on testosterone anyway, so I'd have to go off testosterone for a month in order for my level to go back to oh. normal and not look. Not my level, but my the free testosterone versus bound or whatever it's called sure. test. For that to look normal, I had to go off everything. And Anavar stays in your system three weeks. It's a real good fat-burning uh, steroid that uh, also helps you get strong. But if you've been off it for three weeks, you have no advantage. Uh, the HGH and test I had to go off of anyway three weeks out, even if I wouldn't show up oh my God. system because they make me hold about 20 pounds of water. You know what I mean? I put some mm. kind of water weight on you. So when you go off those, you pull a bunch of water weight off too that you're holding. So, um, yeah, it's a combination of a lot of things. But uh, at that point, everybody, I mean, everybody but Roy Nelson probably and Mark Hunt was on steroids probably. I, uh, <laughs> it was funny. He, uh, he said I fought five cheaters in a row. Um, something online after he found out Brock Lesnar sure. fought, and he's like the last or five of the last seven guys I fought were on steroids and blah blah blah. And I put a, I, I put a correction on Twitter, put asterisk six out of seven, you know, or whatever, like that I was too. Right. And uh, he didn't like he, he didn't like that or think that was funny, but uh, I thought it was hilarious. But yeah, so everybody at that point was taking steroids. Man, right. I actually had an awesome story. There's a fighter I won't tell you who, but you could probably guess. Okay, go for it. The fighter I'm close with, um, who gave me a fat burning supplement. And right. uh, he had at one point a supplement company. And he goes, hey, man, if you take this, it'll help you burn fat. You'll get in real good shape all on your own. You don't have to work out, you know, blah, blah, blah. Sure. I thought, whatever, I'll give anything a try. This before I started working with my trainer guy. So I started taking this. So I take it the first day, man, and I start running a real heavy fever, like it's 103, and I got a headache. I just feel like, shit. Right. And I'm like, I'm not, I call my jiu-jitsu coach. Hey, I'm not coming to class. I mean, I don't feel good. I think I'm getting sick, you know. Okay, no problem. Wake up next day, feel fine. So I go, I was like, you know, I'm going to go do my cardio this morning and lift a little bit. Um, take one of those uh, pills to get the fat burner. I'll run ten minutes later. I run 103 fever. Feel terrible for about six or seven hours. Oh, so wow. I cancel that. Cancel my training. Right. So it just crossed my mind. I let me make sure I'm not allergic to this stuff, man. Like it looked like it came from GNC, <laughs> but uh, I type in side effects, type in the name of it, and it's sure. like if your horse has trouble breathing, oh, uh, do this or that. If your horse begins to have a stroke, all this different stuff. I'm like your horse. <laughs> so I type in the type of the definition of what I'm taking. It's a horse <laughs> asthma medicine that I was taking. Wow. So I hit the, I hit the guy up um, who I got it from. My buddy, I was like, motherfucker, did you give me horse asthma medicine and tell me it was a fat burner? And he was like, well, that's what they use it for. But man, it, it's a great fat burner. It makes you run a fever all the time, all day, every day. So you like burn fat off. And I'm like, yeah, you burn your brain while you're doing it too. Like cook your brain, you know, while you're at it. Wow. And he goes, I ain't going to do that. He said, that's like saying you could get AIDS from having sex with a monkey. And I was like, uh, you can if the monkey has AIDS. Like, <laughs> like what? what kind of statement is that? Um, right. But yeah, it's uh, something else. He's a, he's a lunatic. But uh, he's like, I've been taking it for six years. It never happened to me. I was like, well, that explains a lot then, that how you act, why you act, how you yeah. do, you know? So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't recommend, actually, I do recommend human growth hormone to anyone who can afford it. It's a wonderful thing. 
Um, but um, you got to be careful with it because it can make you have a giant head. I have a giant head anyway, so I don't want an extra giant head. But, uh, well, that's what I was going to ask so. too next. Like, do you have any, now that you've been off, I don't know if you're still on it, but it, now that you're not taking the same amount you were before, do you feel any side effects as you're older or is it all good? Uh, I don't. I, I mean, when, dude, I, when I was taking all that, I felt like Superman 24 okay. hours a day. I slept four hours a night. Felt amazing when I woke up. Well, of course, I was eating super clean too, so that makes a big difference too, man. If you're only eating chicken and broccoli and eggs, I mean, you're going to feel pretty. I mean, you won't feel good about what you ate, but you'll feel good physically, you know? Right. And uh, I was in great shape, exercise all the time, and I felt amazing. Uh, I felt young again, like I was 18, 19 again. Right. Uh, but it's, uh, I mean, if you're going to get AIDS or hate get AIDS, if you're going to get it from an AIDS patient, you can get it pretty affordably. If you're going to get it from a doctor, I mean, you're talking 10 grand a month, you know, for the mm. real stuff. So, um, I got a prescription for it through a doctor in Miami who's a little bit shady. So I was legally getting it anyway. And I had another connection with a guy where I could get some. But it's a HGH is an amazing thing, man. It's a that's why everybody keeps asking me about Tyson how he looks. I said Tyson right. looks like he's on a shitload of HGH. That's what it looks like to me. I said you don't get you don't start looking when he's fifty three or fifty five whatever you don't look right. you don't look twenty one at fifty five again without chemical help. It doesn't happen. I don't care how clean you eat. I don't care how much you exercise. Like the body's not the same. But uh, yeah, he's on a. He's on a lot of HGH, I guarantee you. Or the new thing is these peptides everyone takes are talking about. Um, Bob Sapp actually told me about those. Same as better than HGH and safer and all this and that. Um, oh. He's a great guy. Bob Sapp is, man. He gets a lot of heat. But that, that dude's awesome. Like, he is funny, the nicest guy ever, man. He, he gives away so much money to people. You have no idea. People have no idea how many oh. people he supports that are just like hard luck stories, just people that right. had a hard time in life and he pays their bills. Like, he's a... He's an awesome dude, man. He gave one of his full purses, forty or fifty grand, to Gary Goodrich. I think you know, because um, oh, awesome. Goodrich is in, you know such bad, uh, sh- of course. You know, his brains uh, have brain damage, and uh, right. he's uh, Sap is an awesome, awesome dude. I talk to him all the time. He's a great dude. What about you? Are you scared of getting any brain damage or trauma when you get older? Uh, I was, man, and my, my biggest thing was I never, I never sparred super hard. I won't say never, but. Rarely did I ever spar super hard. Okay. One, I didn't want to mess my teeth up. I didn't want to mess my face up. I for sure didn't want to mess my brain up, you know? Right. And um, I would see guys get in there and spar with MMA gloves and beat the hell out of each other, man, uh, every day. And I'm like, I can't believe you guys are doing that for free. If that makes me a pussy, then I'm a pussy, you know what I mean? But I, I'll be able to spell my name by the time I'm 42, you know? Like, I just didn't. I didn't see any reason to go in there and take that kind of damage for free. Sure. And it's like Robbie Lawler said, Robbie Lawler doesn't spar. Matt Mitrione doesn't spar before fights anymore. They said, okay. why well, get hit for free? I know how to fight. I'm not. Because right. once you get eye discipline to where you're not you're not scared to get hit and you're not you're not turning away or flinching, you don't really need. I mean, you can need different distance a little bit, but that hard sparring is really overrated. Once you do that, you know it's uh, right. there's this myth probably started with the Militich gang or whatever. I love Pat, but they had this thing where they thought like if you beat the hell out of each other, make you tougher. I'm like, why don't you guys just go play in traffic then? Like, why not why not just run over each other with cars or right. each other baseball bats? Will make you even tougher. That doesn't it does nothing but damage and injury. You know, it's stupid. It's uh. We were on a, a podcast on Adams the other day with uh, right. Don Fry. And yeah. I figured as manly as Don Fry was, he'd be like, oh, you got to spar hard and that. But Don Fry was like, I don't get these idiots that beat the hell out of each other for free in practice and come into a fight and beat up and injured, you know. He said, just doesn't make sense, which is, he said, I always want to come in fresh and feeling good on my fight, which uh, when you're as manly as Don Fry, you can do whatever you want. That dude's so awesome. <laughs> no kidding. I asked him one time, first time I ever met Don Fry, I said, Don, I got a question for you. I don't know if you even know what I'm talking about, but he had a fight in yeah. pride where – he got arm barred and he didn't tap and the guy broke his arm in yes. half and he still wouldn't tap. They stopped right. it. And I was like, Don, I got to know you, you knew you couldn't get out. What were you thinking? And he goes, hell buddy. I was so high that night. I probably didn't know I was in an arm bar. <laughs> I was like, all right. And then, uh, I told him I was surprised you couldn't get out with your mustache being as epic as it is. 
He goes, is it bad? I just shaved it off two two hours ago. You know, or whatever was cracked me up too. He's so awesome. Don Price. <laughs> Him, Toss Root, and Tom Erickson are my three most manly people I've ever met in MMA. Those guys are awesome. Wow, that's so awesome. Okay, so your first loss came against Stefan Struve. Now, yeah. two things about this fight. First, how did it feel to get your first loss? And second, the build-up to this fight. A lot of shit talking going back and forth. I believe you even came out with in a Bieber uh, uh, yeah. wig or something. Like, what what, yeah. what what happened during all this? He, uh, I got a hold of his manager. After I fought, I didn't feel comfortable. I was always known for talking a lot of shit uh, before my fight. So I got a hold of his manager ahead of time and asked him if Struve wanted to help build our fight up and see if we could get higher up the card because I was trying to get paid, you know? Right. And he said, well, Stefan's not really like that. Uh, he just trains hard. He keeps quiet. And he, you know, he's going to let his performance speak. And I was like, that's why he's seven foot tall. Has fought nine times the UFC and no one I know has ever heard of it. You know, right. like, I was like, I was like, he doesn't have to talk trash, but I'm going to talk trash about him. So hope he doesn't take it personal. <laughs> so it actually became hilarious because he wouldn't say anything back. And I just kept going, going. He just wouldn't say anything back. And so I finally said stuff like, there's no way Strew would ever stay this quiet to my face. Right. Like things that didn't even make sense, you know what I mean, or whatever. Sure. So I just kept on him and kept on him. And uh, then he did that Photoshop contest where the best Photoshop was of me. It was mostly just gay porn pictures with my face on him. Wow. Um, but they did a Photoshop thing. And they, they, somebody did me. It's actually my Facebook profile picture. It's me as Justin Bieber. Um, they That's put my it. face there. It looks, it looks real. So he did that. <laughs> and that, that won his gloves, his signed gloves or something like that contest did. Okay, but okay. I thought it was funny because he thought it would make me mad. So I came out of the way and with the Justin Bieber wig on, you know, like just to show him it didn't bother me at all. Sure. But uh, then uh, that is, man, I, I will rarely make excuses for a fight. Like Christian Warcraft beat me in the UFC. He just beat my ass. I don't have an excuse. Right. But, um, so politely just beat me up. I have no excuse at all. Mm. Um, the um, the fight against Struve, I to this day believe if we fought 10 times at that time in our careers, I would beat him 9 out of 10. Mm. Um, I could not sleep that week. There was so much media, so much pressure because they made us the co-main event. Oh. And the only other person who had ever been co-main event of a big pay-per-view like that in their second fight was Brock Lesnar. You know, like he's the only one who Ooh. ever did that. It's my second fight in the UFC and they made me the co-main event of a GSP pay-per-view in Montreal, That's you know, right. or whatever, where he's huge. So I go out there to do that. I mean, they had me doing media day and night. I didn't know back then. I didn't know you could say no to media requests. I just did every interview. I did everything they said. So they had me doing open workouts. They had me do the video game photo shoot. They had me do another shoot for something else. You can see the magazine, just stuff all week and spread out an hour and a half apart. So they had me doing something at 730 AM, then at nine, then at 11, then at 1230. Then I couldn't sleep. And so I couldn't sleep during the day. I always have trouble sleeping at night. So at night I couldn't sleep. Right. So I slept literally that week a total of five or six hours in six days. I could mm. not sleep while I was out there. And I was going to go ahead and take, I usually when I can't sleep, I take Dramamine, like that motion sickness pill, because it knocks me out. Oh, okay. But then I asked Burt Watson about it. I said, hey, can I take a Dramamine? And just, if it comes up, the commissioner will say, I just took it on the plane for motion sickness, but I need something to sleep. And he was like, mm. if you take, if you didn't put it on the list, you're going to get suspended. He spooked me all out. They didn't oh. even test me. It got me all spooked on it, so I didn't take anything. And I finally fell into deep sleep an hour before we had to be over at the arena, and they woke me up, Shit. so we got to go over there. So then I had to go sit for seven hours in the arena. My body was shaking. Like, I just didn't feel good. I knew I was going to lose going in, right. but I was already super nervous, all the shit I talked and everything. And right before I go out, Dana White tells me, uh, by the way, if you uh, win, this will change your life. Oh, my God. And I was like, uh, I was like, what? And he's like, I'm getting ready to walk out. He goes, yeah, we're going to make you a superstar if you win this. So I do your best. I was like, perfect, because I needed more pressure at this point, you know? <laughs> Already feeling terrible. So right. I knew I was going to gasp, man. I knew I didn't have it from not sleeping. So that's why I went out and went went for the finish in the first minute and a half, two minutes. And when I, uh, I got his arm twisted all the way up behind his back, 
touching his head and he still didn't tap because apparently he's got double jointed sh- shoulders or something. Oh, I don't shit. know. He's double jointed everywhere. Right. Um, he didn't tap and that pretty much took all the wind out of my sales, man. Like I was like, if I didn't get him in that, mm. you know, twist, it would break anyone else's arm. Um, and then I just gassed completely. Once he sweat me, it was terrible. Did you ever so think- that's embarrassing, one of the most embarrassing moments of my life actually. Wow, oh, I could imagine, especially when the big boss himself comes back and says, that's it, this is it for all the marbles, you know what I mean? But did you ever yeah. think after that or any, any other time, because obviously you, your whole game was jujitsu, right? Make guys tap, right. like your whole record, like you, I think only one, you had one decision, and even that decision blows my mind too, because you had like a dislocated shoulder or a broken arm or something, and you still won the fight yeah. with the decision. That uh, That's another conversation for itself there. But did you ever think to get into like kickboxing, boxing, like to up like your stand-up game or anything? Uh, no, man, I just, I'll tell you the truth, I just never picked it up very well. Like I, I trained boxing oh, okay. all the time. Oh, okay, okay. It's not like, you look at a guy like Jake Shields who's been training stand-up for 20 years now and still can't throw a punch or a kick to save his life. You know what I mean? It's just, sure. I just didn't, I just didn't click with jujitsu. I got really fast. I would probably be, if I had been training with the gi, I probably could have got my black belt in three or four years. You know what I mean? Oh, like wow. I, I just got it. I just, I understood it made sense. Boxing, right. for whatever reason, and partially because I dislocated my shoulder in that one fight, after I dislocated my shoulder, because it was I dislocated my own shoulder by throwing a punch, and it skimmed off a guy's head, and it popped it out, and I never forgot how bad that hurt when it popped out a joint. Oh. So I was always hesitant to throw my right hand again. It's like okay. a mental block, you know? I couldn't get past it, but I just, the, the stand-up, I sparred all the time. I I did. I trained with pro boxer. I did everything. I just didn't, it just didn't come, man. It was um, wrestling I picked up, jiu-jitsu I picked up. But the, and the guys, it's funny, like a guy like Matt McTrone, I've seen the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. His jujitsu is terrible, but his stand-up, I mean, he just gets it. When he, he'd go yes. in there and spar, all of a sudden, he just he just has it. You know what I mean? They show him something a couple times, he can do it in a fight. I, we were the opposite, Matt. Uh, he couldn't pick up the ground game. I couldn't pick up the stand-up, no matter. And I worked on it all the time. I worked on my cardio <laughs> almost exclusively for my fight with Christian Warcraft and was gassed in three minutes. You know, okay. I, I could It's one of the things where I could go all day in the gym and get tired in the fight. You know, just too much pressure, so... I don't know. That's crazy. And then you also had a cup of coffee in, in Bellator. How was that going from like, I, and I know in between you had other fights too, but going from like the one to number two, but my, I don't think Coker was in charge back then, right? It was still Bjorn? No, it was Bjorn Radney. I can't stand that dude. Man. Um, <laughs> they only go. paid me three. They only paid me three and three. Oh shit. They, they thought, they told me I had to sell a hundred tickets or I couldn't fight. What? And I was like, I don't think gonna, I'm not going to go up and sell a hundred tickets. People are going to drive all the way to Chicago to watch me fight. And uh, they didn't want to put my fight, even though I was the biggest name fighter on the whole show. They wanted to right. put my fight online, not on TV, because uh, they want to build their own fighters. I heard Bjorn said about me, he don't want to sign a bunch of UFC rejects. Oh my! That's God. what he told his. That's what he told his matchmaker, which is hilarious because the UFC will sign guys Bellator cuts. Right. You know what I mean? Like Bellator cuts. Um, oh, what's the kid's name? Uh, I can't. I'll remember it later. But there's a, they. They've cut three or four guys, and well, then the UFC signs them on a short nose fight because UFC doesn't care what they look like compared to Bellator. Bellator, mm-hmm. Bjorn Redney always had that wild hair up his ass that he, he wanted to develop his own fighters. He wanted to do this. They were mad at me. They told me I could fight anybody I wanted if I was three and three. They had to have a winning record, and uh, they had to look good physically. Okay. So I picked a guy I've never fought before who's 19 and eight, oh, sure. or 19 and seven, his record was. He, um, something like that. Yeah. Uh, big guy. It doesn't matter what color he was, but he was black. <laughs> like pretty muscular dude or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I beat him in a minute because his jaw broke. On, I put him in a neck crank and it broke his jaw. Oh. And so I beat him in less than a minute. He ended up being my last fight of my career and he beat me. That was a whole other story. It's terrible. But 
Uh, I beat him in under a minute. And Bjorn Rebney, uh, I walked by and my, my agent told me, make sure you tell Bjorn, thanks for the opportunity, blah, blah, blah. Sure. So I told Bjorn as I was leaving, I said, hey, I really appreciate the opportunity, Mr. Rebney. And he goes, yep, like that. And just kept looking down his thing or whatever because he was Whoa. disgusted that a fight was that mismatched. I'm like, you can't be mad that that guy's jaw broke. You know what right. I mean? Or whatever. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And, of course. Um, but he was mad about it. And he didn't want any guys, former UFC guys, which, I mean, there's some, I understand that to a degree. You don't want to sign guys that are, you know, can't, taking the UFC, but at that point, I would have beat anybody at heavyweight on their roster except Cole Conrad, probably. Mm. And not even that I couldn't beat Cole Conrad, he just was a lot better wrestler than me, but I'm not even sure I couldn't beat him, you know? Sure. But they didn't have anybody who would compete with me at heavyweight. They didn't have anybody at heavyweight who was as famous as me, you know? Mm. And they, not that I was super famous, but I mean, compared to their guys. Yeah, of course. And uh, but he wasn't interested. I told, him, I told them I'd fight for them 5000 a fight on an eight-fight contract if I could have yes or no power over my opponents, you know, to say yes mm. or no. And I said, I just wanted to fight, you know, those uh, eight fights over two years. They just guaranteed me that. Sure. They weren't interested. So I was like, okay, well, never mind, you know. Jesus. You also fought the world's strongest man, Marius Pujanowski. Yeah. That, again. He became, he became the world's second strongest man after I beat him. That's why I said it. Right? How did all this come about? Was this from your shit talking? Did you instigate this fight? Or was this, they were just looking for someone and you were right place, no, right time? They were, they were looking for somebody who would be an even match with him. Okay. And so it's so funny. They called me. They had Wes Sims, because they wanted Pujanowski to win, but Wes Sims wanted more money. They had Rico Rodriguez, but he was wanting more money, so they called mm. me, and they asked me, how fast do I think I could beat Pujanowski? Okay. And I was like, I, I don't know. I said, I don't know if I would beat him. I said, I got a really bad back. I said, I haven't really been training, but mm. and on 10 days notice, I said, but uh, I said, I think I'll win, but I, I don't know how fast. They're so like, well, we need you to try to carry it to the second round if you can. Right, right. And I was like, well, I'm not doing that for what you're paying me. Like, you guys want to give me a hundred grand or something, I can carry him, but I'm not carrying him just to carry him, you know? Yeah, of course. And they were like, um, well, it'd be really good for us if, if the fight would last longer. And they're only paying me 10,000 bucks, and uh, which I never would have accepted if I'd known there were going to be 20,000 people there. Like, I got there, uh-huh. they sold out a massive arena. Me and him are either the main event or co main event. Right. And I was like, if I'd have known that, because he was getting something like $350,000. Oh, wow. So I would have never done it for 10 if I'd have known, but. Of course. Um, I got over there and I uh, made some Nazi jokes, which, as it looks, turned back it was a bad idea. Wow. But uh, I, uh, it was kind of funny though. But Poland's kind of sensitive about the whole Nazi thing, as it turns out. Right. But especially the gypsies. But um, yeah, so they offered me that fight. I had a two fight contract, and uh, mm-hmm. I took that one. I, I rocked him early with one and submitted him. They were kind of mad about it, but I afterward I claimed Poland was my new favorite country and turned my back on the U.S. and all kinds of stuff just to get people to cheer for me. And everybody loved it, so then they had big plans for me. They wanted to have us, a re- us have a rematch, right? And I should have asked for more money because I was only get twelve thousand for the rematch. Oh, sure. But I didn't. I had I'd signed the contract, so I went over and fought him, and he dry humped me to a two round decision in the second one. Just literally, got, he got on some EPO, I think, because uh, his cardio was considerably better. Mm. Just he was thirty pounds heavier and had better cardio than our first fight, you know. Like, yeah. uh, but he just held me down the whole time. I couldn't really do much; just held me down, and. Um, he beat me by a two-round decision, and I wanted to do a third fight, and they were like, no, that second fight was horrendous, you know, whatever, like, so boring, blah, 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 they didn't want to have me back, so I tried to fight for him a couple more times, they had no interest at all, so I was like, all right, whatever, it's all good, man, um, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, they were, I don't know, KSW's the best company I fought for, though, man, they were awesome, oh, okay. those, uh, those guys really know how to put on a show. Oh, that's pretty cool to hear. That's cool to hear. Okay, well, you said it. You went a bit too far with the, the Nazi jokes. Is there a line, in your opinion, should there be a line? Is there a line? Because, like, even with this whole Colby Covington thing, the, as, as this recording, he just won his fight and everything. 
And even Dana White took to Twitter saying he he, he doesn't muzzle his his uh but his fighters and stuff, right? So yeah. should there be a line? Is there a line? Is this all entertainment? Like what? Like what? What's going on in your opinion? Well, I know there used to be a line because when Matt Mitrione said something about that foul in Fox, uh, he got fined twenty five grand, and they threw a fit and said, you know, like this and that. And, That's right. Uh, that was a man man dressed as a woman beating up women. That was sad. But um, I um, yeah, I mean, I think I don't. I personally, man, I used to make a lot of jokes about pretty much anything. I don't like to joke about God really because I'm afraid that God will kill me. Like because uh, I do believe there's a God, so I try not believe it or not. I try not to do that. Um, sure. I don't like to make child molestation or pedophile jokes unless it's a joke about me being molested you know or something like that like if I tell that joke it's one thing but right. I don't think there's anything funny about pedophiles or kids being molested so I don't make jokes like that That's fair. Um, yeah. I mean I used to tell my son like if my son we were in Florida one time on this boardwalk and he was 10 years old and he decided to go to the bathroom I said don't go get molested in there like he's walking away something like that's you know different but I don't like to make rape jokes uh, anymore I used to I'd make jokes about rape here and there most usually prison rape or man on man rape but okay um, I used to make jokes here and there, but it's really not, man, I guess I've gotten older, you realize that stuff's really not funny. It's not saying, I feel like by making it a joke, you're lessening the impact of it. So, mm, yeah. um, I don't like to make jokes like that. Um, I prefer not to make jokes about the Holocaust. All I said about the Holocaust was, um, that, that's a terrible way to start a statement. No, but all I said was, they asked me if the tattoo on my chest, I have a, I have a tattoo of what appears to be a Nazi eagle on my chest. Oh no. And it's just. Right. It's a Roman eagle, but I got to put over my ex-wife's name, okay. right? Because I had her name on my chest, so sure. I put it on there. So when they asked me, my first friend that saw it was like, "Holy shit, you got a Nazi eagle!" And I was like, "Nazis don't have an eagle." He goes, "You better look it up." I didn't think another thing about it. The next friend that saw it was like, "Oh my god, is that a Nazi eagle?" And so then I got nervous. You know? Oh no! So then someone on Twitter's like, "Dude, you got a Nazi eagle?" And I'm like, "Yeah, right." And uh, he's like, "Yeah, right." And sends a picture of the Nazi eagle next to my tattoo, and it's a Nazi eagle apparently. So right. I made the joke in Poland. I, I would always say that. It's not a Nazi eagle, but uh, even if it was, it doesn't matter because all I did was cover up the name of one ruthless dictator with a symbol for another, oh, wow. which is a great joke. So I covered up my ex-wife's name. Right. But you guys will catch that later. But um, so I, uh, yeah, I used to always say that. But the, um, I, I said, they asked in Poland, a Germany guy asked me if it was a Nazi tattoo. I said, no. I said, I'm completely anti-Nazi, anti Adolf Hitler, although right. I do think he had a point about the gypsies. Oh, no. I said, like, uh, I think we should get rid of gypsies because uh, I can't stand them. Because I thought gypsy was a like a, a lifestyle. I didn't know it was a race. Oh, Apparently it's a race. Right, so yeah. I thought it was like a lifestyle, like hippie or carny or Oh, I see like what that, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. I, I didn't know. I didn't, like, I, I didn't. A lot of time I've seen gypsies, they were trying to trick me out of my money for, for telling my future on the outskirts of town. <laughs> Not really, but um, no, I don't uh, I thought Gypsy was just a lifestyle. And I found out right. it was a race. They threw a fit over there. It was like, you're making fun of Gypsies, this and that. And I'm oh, like, no. like Poland is one quarter Gypsy. And I was like, what? Oh, I had shit. no idea, you know? Yeah, yeah. So um, it was crazy. So apparently, yeah, it's a race. So I didn't make that joke anymore. But <laughs> I still like to make racist jokes as long as they're funny. I think that's the funniest kind of jokes or racial humor. As long as it's not meant to hurt anybody's feelings except Brandon Chop. <laughs> So, of course. It's been his feelings. I'm also okay with it. <laughs> so, with that being said, is that your end goal? Do you want to be a comedian? Do you want to go up on stage eventually when all this shit is Man, done and I, over? I used to want to. I just I used to want to be a writer for Saturday Night Live because I'm. That's what people used to ask me. They said, "What do you say to your critics?" Like a, a guy asked me when I was in the UFC, "What do you say to your critics that say you're further along in the UFC than you should be because you use your comedic talent to per, to." you know, advance your fighting career. Mm. And I said, no, no, it's the exact opposite. I'm using fighting to 
advance my comedy career, you know, because I wanted to be a comedian. But um, I just don't, man, I had, a, I had a chance to sign with the WWE. Oh, told wow. me to be on the road 300 nights a year. I didn't want to do that. I was right. like, too much travel, be away from my kids. I feel the same way about comedy. If you're going to be successful at it and you're not best friends with Joe Rogan, um, you have to travel, <laughs> um, you know, four or five nights a week. You got to... I don't like being in front of people. Believe it or not, I can't stand being in front of people. I can do interviews all day long, but sure. to be in front of a crowd, I did stand-up comedy one time and I killed. Like, it was absolutely ridiculous, but um, I didn't even tell any jokes. I just told a story about me and some girl that happened to be there that night who mm. I punched in the face a long time before. Oh it was a long story, but uh, <laughs> I ended up telling that story because the guy messed up my routine by telling him I was in the UFC, mm. when I was going to claim to be the world's biggest horse jockey when I first came out or whatever. I had some lame joke about that. Right, right. But uh, I, I don't like writing jokes for people. I've written a couple for Adam. Like one of Adam's jokes that went over pretty well when he did it, I wrote a joke that uh, where he says, Adam Hunter, obviously I'm talking about, he okay. says uh, he did it on Jay Leno actually. Oh. He said that he gets, um, no, he said, I don't know, in Hollywood, he gets all kind of weird offers. Like he got offered a threesome the other night, mm. but it was a totally the wrong ratio. You know, and everybody laughs and the punchline is, what the fuck? No, that's a British shot. <laughs> like, um, no, the punchline is, uh, yeah, it was going to be me, some other guy, and some other guy. <laughs> or whatever. So, right. That's the punchline that I wrote, you know, for him. So I prefer, awesome. I get just as much joy out of hearing someone else laugh at a joke I wrote right. that someone else tells that if I, as if I told it, so... Um, I like to make people laugh, but yeah, that was, I considered doing that for a living for a while, man, but it is a lot of travel and it's a lot of, a lot of shitty stuff, you know, like oh, at the start, you know what I mean? You gotta go do sure. practice at a laundry mat or who knows where, you know what I mean? Like any, you gotta take any job you get to get stage time. And I'm just not, uh, I'm not having sex with Brian Callum to get on stage ever. I'll tell you that. So, <laughs> like apparently is the requirement. Well, going back to WWE, since I'm a huge wrestling fan, what was the offer? Was it for writing? Was it a on-air talent? What was no, the man, they, I actually, I, I made an appearance. It started, uh, there's a guy named Julian Bradley who's real connected with the uh, WWE world. Okay. He's a big-time politician, I guess, with the Republican Party or one of the guys that works for him. But he puts on wrestling shows because he's a huge wrestling fan. Okay. Um, so he invites me. He wants me to come to an autograph signing at one of his shows. And uh, Tommy Dreamer was there, like Kevin right. Nash, all these guys that were heroes to me you know, right. growing up. Um, Val Venus was there at the Blue Meanie. I mean, just anybody you can imagine, man, at these, you know, now they're not in the WWE anymore. And uh, yeah. so I'm there and I'm like talking to these guys. So it's like surreal for me, man. Because <laughs> I rode in a car with Shane Douglas, Tommy Dreamer, a couple other real famous guys. And uh, we were going from one city to the next. I didn't know it was a two city tour I was on, but okay. uh, Sabu was there from ECW, like wow. all these guys, man. I used to know. So they're talking and they're. And it's so funny because they'll be like, man, I tell you what, Grace and I, my life, Starcade, 1984. I was fighting a triangle match against so-and-so and, you know, this guy, uh, Harvey Race and some other guy, you know, said, uh, I beat them both. I barely came back. I won the title right before we timed out on the Royal Rumble, this and that or whatever. And I'm yeah. like, uh, oh, so it wasn't scripted for you to win? They're like, no, no, it was. And it's like, but you said you barely made it. It's like, yeah, I mean, like, I said, you mean were you hurt? Like, no, but I mean, like, my character barely pulled through. And I was like, oh, okay, so, like, hypothetically, like, if it were real, you barely, yeah, like, if it was a real fight, I'm like, okay, yeah. cool. So then they'd be talking again and be like, man, I'll never forget, best night of my life. I fought so-and-so to a draw. I never thought I'd be able to compete at that level. And I'm like, wait a minute, but it was it was fake, right? Like, you guys, yeah. you know, like, well, yeah, but I mean, my my character shouldn't be able to compete with Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, or whatever. Right. And I'm like, Oh, I got you. So even they lose track of reality. Like I'm like, it's, I was still confused. What was right. going on, you know, but, uh, I, uh, they taught me, I went from, 
I was there to sign autographs. To okay. uh, they're paying me five hundred bucks to do one show. Then they want me to do two shows, so it was a thousand. To where they want me to ref a match, and I'm like, oh. all right, man, I'll ref one match, but I don't want to get involved. Sure. To where, well, you're going to get involved and you're going to interfere in the match. And I'm like, dude, you got to give me more money if I'm doing all this. Sure. So he gives me another five hundred. So then uh, you're going to interfere in the match. Two, you and him are going to jump the guy during the match. Two, now I'm wrestling and the other guy's the ref. Oh, and I'm wow. like, you guys just keep pushing it further down the thing. <laughs> right? So I was like, dude, you got to. If I'm wrestling, I like, if I'm wrestling a match, you got to give me more money, man. I said, I, I didn't sign up for this, you know. Sure. And uh, so what they were trying to do is get something on film with me wrestling so they could send it to the WWE, but they didn't tell me that. He didn't want to put pressure on me. Okay. So he interviews me before this fight, this and that, and I felt real so weird talking about a fake fight. And then mm. I was more, right as nervous or more nervous for that wrestling match than I was a real fight because I know in a real fight what to do. The pro wrestling, like, first thing comes out, I was going against this guy named um, C.J. O'Doyle who's been on that tough, or been on the next WWE Next, I think, show. or Oh, NXT maybe the, or something, yeah. Something like he's, okay. I don't know. So he's a really good dude, man. But um, he tells me, and I was going with him, he said, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to come at you, pick me up and slam me. Like he said, I'll push off your shoulders and then you just slam me. And I was like, dude, I, can we practice that? I don't feel comfortable <laughs> doing that without practicing. And I said, I don't know how to slam you without trying to hurt you. I said, like, I don't cool. like if I was going to slam you in a real fight, I would try to drive my shoulder into your jaw or my head into your face as we fall or whatever. Makes sense. And he goes, oh, just slam me to the ground. You don't have to fall with me. And I'm like, you're sure. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I know how to, I know how to take a fall, and I'm like, all right, man, like I, I really rather practice it, but if you don't have to take a fall, so I throw him against the ropes. He becomes a victim of his own momentum and can't stop himself for some reason. Comes flying back at me off the ropes, and I go to grab him like to, I was going to tackle him like um, a Bill Goldberg spear, right or whatever. Sure. Instead, he pushes off my shoulders and jumps up in the air. So now his crotch is a little bit above my face, like he's up in the air, and I'm still standing straight up. It threw me off. I thought I was going to tackle him. Right. So I go to grab him. And now he's too high for me. If I try to spear him, he's going to flip, you know, or whatever. Mm. So I try to grab his legs, and I'm going to still try to slam him. But when I do it, it was like it was like flipping a wet towel, like as if I like you know, like so I grab him. I'm trying to throw him to the ground, right. but I, he slammed his head so hard on that mat, man. Like when oh. I when I threw him down, like I, I didn't he didn't land on his back. He landed on the back of his shoulders and his head. Right. He hits the cage or the ring, bounces off of it, falls out, holds his head to the side of the thing, and the ref goes, mm. "Oh my god, I think you just killed him." <laughs> And uh, I was like, man, I thought I was, I thought you knew how to take a fall. He goes, you really like slammed him. I'm like, I, I'm sorry, man. I felt so dumb, you know. Right. He had like a concussion. Everything was sad. So, um, oh my god. Afterward, I told him, I said, dude, I am sorry. I didn't know what I, I told you. I didn't know what I was doing. He's not good, man. As long as it looked awesome, that's all I care about. And I was like, yeah, but it was a nasty fall, man. So we did that. But anyway, all that to say, apparently the guy sends in a tape to the WWE, and they want to get a hold of me. They say, "Well, no, if I'll fly out and meet him in right. Stanford, you know, wherever they're at, WWE, talk to him." Yeah, yeah. And I didn't want to waste their time or mine, so I just said to them, uh, "One, I've got a bad back. I don't know if that matters. I do have back issues." Um, mm-hmm. And then two, um, I said I, I just need to know the, the pay and the schedule like, before I even come out there. And they were talking three thousand a week, uh, approximately three thousand dollars a week, and I would start off in their independent thing in Tampa. Right. I had to move there for like six months to a year till I got good enough to wrestle. Mm-hmm. If I catch on, then you'll sign a bigger contract, but it'll be mostly uh, merchandise based. You get whatever it is, twenty seven percent of your merchandise plus a flat fee a year. Right. But uh, you got to be on the road three hundred nights a year. They said you, I would leave Wednesday night. I would get home Tuesday morning, and they said that's every week except Christmas or New Year, something around there. And I was like, okay, can I do? half the schedule for half the money. And they were like, no. And I was like, how about half the schedule for a quarter of the money? And they were like, no, we, we need to we need full time. You know, if you're going to do it, everybody has to do it. Everybody but Brock has the same schedule. And I, I, I said, I just can't. I said, man, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I said, it's just too much travel. And they thought I was crazy. You're going to turn down chance of WWE. I was like, man, I, I just, I can't. I got little kids at the time. My kids were maybe 
I don't know, 13 and 10. And I was like, I'm just not going to be away from them for the rest of their life. I actually talked to Kevin Nash about it right. and asked him what I thought I should do. And first thing he said is, how's your body? Are you hurt? So my back is really bad. Mm. And he goes, well, that's not a good start if you want to be a pro wrestler. I said, yeah, I know. He goes, what about if you got a family, wife, this and that? I got two little kids. And uh, he goes, this is what I can tell you, man. He said, I've made millions of dollars doing it. He said, but I got a 17-year-old son that hates me, a wife that can't stand me because she doesn't even know me. Wow. You know, He said, I, I used to wake up in the middle of the night in a panic attack, not knowing where I was at, realizing I was in Japan or Russia or Malaysia or some crazy place that because they've been on tour so long, you can't even remember where he went, you know? Right. And he said, like, freaking out, thinking I was home, and I wake up in some weird hotel room somewhere. And he said, if you have an option to do anything else, I would do anything but wrestling. Like, he told me that, you know? Oh, wow. And I never forgot that, man, because that's a guy that's been there, done that, made the big money, everything. And he right. said, if you didn't do it over again, he wouldn't do it, you know? So wow. uh, he said, especially at my age, you know, he said, when you're older like that, man, he said, that's going to, it's going to beat up your body quick. So I was like, yeah, I, I changed my mind. I told him no. They were shocked when I told him, I'm sorry. I just, I just can't do it. That's, I said, okay, uh, I'll do the next one, I guess. So. <laughs> that is fucking crazy. That's fucking crazy. Okay, so before we get into the dumbass of the week and we wrap this up, I got to know, what's your favorite and least favorite moment while you've been a fighter? Uh, my favorite moment probably was... Right after I beat Struve, or not after I beat Hunt, even though I would have beat Struve, right after I beat Hunt, the feeling of, I, there was so much build up to that and so much on the line for me, the feeling of relief, it wasn't even happiness, just relief, that it was over and that I'd won, okay. was amazing, and then I stood up and got to rub in everybody's face who said I was going to lose the 20,000 people in my hometown, and like I was, everybody thought I was going to lose, my friends were even betting against me, so sure. that was probably the best uh, feeling, the worst feeling, there's several of them, um, when I lost my last fight, that really sucked because I wanted to go out on a win and I shouldn't have been fighting. My back was hurt so bad. I didn't train even one time for that fight. And I beat a guy, a guy got beat by a guy who I beat in 30 seconds or 40 seconds of Bellator. Uh, when I lost to Stefan Struve, that was a terrible feeling because mm-hmm. everyone turned on me, not my close friends and family, but right. everyone else in the world felt like they turned on me. Even your regular friends act, they act weird towards you when you lose. Like mm. suddenly you're not as cool. You're like, you're not, it's like they're disappointed in you. And you're like, why are you disappointed? I'm the one that got beat up. Why right. You, you you know, Um, but to see everyone, the way everyone turned on me immediately, um, to see how happy people were to see me lose, even though I'd set myself up to be the bad guy to a degree, but like, probably like, um, you know, Mike Perry talks about it. I understand completely shows you where I'm at. I understand what Mike Perry's talking about, Um, but no, Mike Perry talks about how everyone's turned against him now, man. And he said, I was the, when I won my first three fights, UFC, I was the greatest thing in the world. Everybody loved this. Now, as soon as I lose, I'm a loser. Everyone hates me. Yep. You know, everybody's got to talk shit to me. They start talking shit in person. You know, it's like it's mm. always something. But it's uh, it really is that way, man. Everybody loves a winner and everybody hates a loser. And I never understood why it mattered so much to other people. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that, when I got cut by the UFC, that really sucked because I didn't know if I was going to be able to make money fighting anywhere else. There were several, several low points, a lot of them. Um, but, uh yeah, it's, it's overrated, man. It's honestly, it, not just fighting, but I've been a millionaire before. It's overrated. Mm. Um, you know, I was a millionaire at 28 years old. Almost everything in life is overrated. Everything you think you want, you know? So once you get there, you're like, well, it's really not as cool as I thought it was, you know, like I thought it would be. Or It's like buying a new car. Once you get it, you're used to it two or three weeks. It doesn't seem new anymore, you know? So <laughs> that's, uh, but uh, yeah, I would say the low points are too many to too many to name. Uh, but the high point probably was the, the relief, just the relief I felt when I beat uh, Mark Hunt because it was so no one thought I was going to win and I was under so much stress for so long wow. so that's awesome alright ready for the dumbass yes 
Besides Brendan Schaub. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> okay, well, perfect. I'll, I'll lead this in with a, a story of yours. So, when you lost all your millions, when you weren't a millionaire anymore, did you ever think of faking your death and getting out of it so you wouldn't have to pay it all out? No, but I, I did think of faking my own death just to get famous. Oh. Um, like after I uh, after I lost to uh, Stephen Struve, okay. uh, I lost Christian Warcraft, Sam Hoger, the penny thief, uh, started a rumor online that I was, had killed myself. I disappeared into some island and killed myself. Oh, shit. And I actually thought about it for a minute. I was right. like, dude, he's already started the rumor. I didn't have to start it. So if I just disappeared, like I was going to go somewhere like Mexico for like, a month okay. and just let my family, my real close family know I'm alive, but let everyone else think I'm missing and under real mysterious circumstances. Right. And so then I was going to let everybody think that and I was going to make like a triumphant return at a, at a UFC where I come run into the ring or something, a cage. Not really. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I was, uh, yeah, I wanted to uh, fake my own death just to get famous. Yeah, I thought about that. I'll tell you a quick funny one real quick. Sure, go for it. When I was going to fight Mark Hunt, my, no one thought I was going to win. So my little brother said, dude, you know what would be awesome is if you start losing really badly and you know there's no way you're going to win. He said, okay. just let him, like, get your leg out there, let him kick you in the leg or something, and if it smacks real loud or pops real loud, just be like, oh, my God, why did you do that? And take off running, climb out of the cage and sprint, like, to the top of the arena. He said, just take off running and climb out and scream and run right. the whole way back to the backstage. And he said, no matter what, you'll be famous the rest of your life for doing that, you know? That's he said, true. you could turn, he goes, if you're not going to win anyway, if you know you're going to win, you could turn that into, like, a Peter McNeely Pizza Hut commercial, something like that, you know? <laughs> Like when the stuff crust knocked him out, he said you could do that. He was dead serious about. It. He said you gotta. You see, you got like scream when he kicks you. Like, why would you do that and take off running? I don't know. But anyway, no, that's true because. You, you, you know what's similar well not similar but something fucked up like here's a perfect example Johnny Walker people know him as the guy who injured right. himself celebrating after a yeah. fight right exactly <laughs> he'll always be known and he got a lot more he got a lot more fame just from that exactly than he ever went from fighting so. <laughs> that's hilarious okay so this week's dumbass tried to fake his death now this is the second time I brought up a dumbass that tried to fake his death the first one I brought up a few weeks ago with a guest was actually a, a couple the husband tried to fake a wife's death because she was going to go to jail, and so he was trying to help him out, but they ended up getting caught. But this week, it's a guy on his own. He, he was going to go to jail, but he, and I don't know how the lawyer does not get in trouble for this, but anyways, he submitted a death certificate when it was your next hearing for him to go to jail or the sentencing, whatever it is, right? It was so good that even they had all the stamps, everything was legit, everything looked good. Now, if you had to guess, guess where they would fuck up on this thing? Uh, he signed his own death certificate? <laughs> That's actually a good one. Right. He misspelled the word registry. Right. Had everything perfect. I ended up getting the same paper that they use. Like I said, the stamps, whatever they use, the exact same signature. But that's like he didn't use fucking spell check. And that's how he got caught. Yeah, it'll happen. I can only imagine what it did say. <laughs> what? I don't know. I had a... Uh... I had a, it's a long story, but I had a coach in high school who would use the wrong tense of words all the time. Oh, no. So he would be like, uh, he might say like, uh, I guess we could say you're being ridiculousness. And I just always think, <laughs> actually, we couldn't because that would be grammatically incorrect. But me and my girlfriend go back and forth with that all the time. Now, like we come up with the wrong tense of words and use yeah. it like my coach. Like, uh, you know, he would always use like, I don't know, just stuff like that. Uh, so I was wondering what the registry word, like if he used registering or what you know like there's no telling what he used and still showed up good on spell check <laughs> I, had right. a, uh, I had a girl a crazy girl uh brazilian girl try to pose as my girlfriend one time and make a fake facebook page for her and i found okay. out it was her because she sent a she sent a direct message to my daughter 
and it said, "Hey, sweaty," instead of "sweetie," <laughs> and it's sweaty. Sweaty didn't didn't the, the spell check didn't catch it. You know what I mean? Or whatever. And I was like, "That's exactly how someone that speaks Portuguese would say sweetie." You know, they spell sweaty. So that I is true. First. Then I put her work and home phone number all over the uh, all over Twitter, all over the underground forum, and she paid for months for doing that. But that was a whole other story. Oh my God, that's awesome! Okay, now's the time to shine. Where could people find you? Which is odd because first of all, I didn't even touch on this. You follow no one on Twitter, zero. No, nope, I'm I'm only interested in my life. So, <laughs> so go ahead, plug your, your shit. Tom Cruise is pretending like he's straight with this month or anything like that. Like I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so go for it. Plug all your shit, man. Yeah, I'm uh, at Big Sexy McCorkle on Twitter. It's one of the best Twitters there there is, I think. Unless I just talk politics, it gets bad. But uh, I always uh, my tagline is I don't tolerate racism of any kind. Racism is a crime, and crime is for minorities. And that's why I can't get uh, I can't get certified or whatever or verified. Certified. Oh. And I'm like my coach can't get verified on Twitter because they said I had a racist statement in my bio. Oh. So I changed it to I do not. Um, I changed it to I am at all times politic, politically correct, mm. and then they said that I said I'm not racist and at all times politically correct. Then they said that was sarcasm, oh so they God. still wouldn't verify me. So I'm like, dude, what, I said what you want me to say, you know, whatever. Like, so I give up. But uh, you know, I'm there. My Facebook is awesome too. I accept anybody that uh, requests me as long as they don't. As long as they respectful, if they don't, I usually find pictures of their kids or mom or dad and make fun of them, especially if they're dead. Oh. Um, so I usually uh, retaliate pretty hard if somebody's disrespectful, but. Uh, you know, on Facebook, and other than that, I don't do Instagram anymore because they were censoring my stuff I posted. Oh. And Facebook and Twitter are about to be the same. The next time I get suspended or censored on either one of them, I'm done with that form of social media, man. I'm so sick of uh, mm. so sick of the censorship and so sick of them trying to sway things one way. And right. they only fact check Republican stuff, not Democratic stuff, which I don't I don't care on neither. But I don't uh, I don't like when stuff's unfair. So. Yeah, you pretty soon you won't be able to find me at all on social media. So. Well, hopefully we'll find you on a podcast in the near future. But for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finga Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast app at gmail.com. Rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them out, it helps me out. And obviously the most important thing, rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. One last question before I let you go. You are literally immortalized. You're in a video game. How did that right. feel to, to be in a video game? Well, first of all, everyone told me I took Matt Mitrione's spot. I didn't know the last spot was down to me and him. Oh. That's what I said. But no, it's so funny. I got a funny one on that. Uh, sure. When I first saw I was on the game, I was so excited for my son. He was only like nine at the time. Mm. And I was like, that's going to be really cool for him. So I bring it home. They sent me, I go to my mail. They sent me a copy for Xbox and for PlayStation 4, whatever the, whatever the system were at the time. I don't play very many video games anymore, but I tell my son, hey, I'm on this game and this right. and that. He's excited about it. So he puts it in to load it. I go upstairs, make a phone call. I come back downstairs. It's me versus Kane Velasquez. He's already playing. Shit. And I'm getting my ass kicked, man. And I'm like, dude, you got to um, look at the buttons and look at the, like, the, the handbook. I'm like, you got to push A and B at the same time to this, that. Right. And I said, I'm getting killed, man. Come on. He goes, uh, no, dad, I'm Kane. And I was like, wait, you're playing as Kane against me? And I'm, I'm dead serious. He goes, yeah. He goes, hey, no offense. You're like the third worst heavyweight on the whole game. Like, your rating oh. stink. He said, Kane's got like a 99 on almost everything. He said, like, only, you're only better than Pat Barry. And I was like, awesome, dude. Like, that or whatever. Because I was sitting there thinking, like, the first thought that came in my head is, like, you little bastard, why don't you play as one of your friend's dads? Oh, right. you don't have a friend with a dad on the video game, do you? You know, like, but, uh, yeah, he was not impressed at all. And then anytime anybody would want to take a picture of me in public or get an autograph, my daughter was like 13 at the time when I reached my peak fame, I guess. Right. Local celebrity. 
my daughter would always be like, oh my gosh, you're not even famous. I can't believe this. Like she would get like so mm. irritated with it all the time. She'd be like, do they know you're not actually famous? And I was like, I don't know, girl. Like some people think I am, you know, or whatever. But it's, uh, yeah, we go to Florida and the people would, somebody recognized me at Walmart and they want to take a picture with me. My daughter would always be like, ah, like go walking away. Like she could, she was tired of constantly being stopped uh, with us doing that. But then it started working in her favor. She was homecoming queen of her whole school at oh, uh, nice. freshman year. And then she told me, it's only because of you, because everybody thinks you're such a big deal. And I'm like, that's not really true, Bill. But, yeah, she uh, things are better now. It's hard to have a teenage daughter, especially when she has a crazy mom who tries to make everything your fault. So. Well, I just feel sorry for any of the guys she brings home to to, to uh, you answering the door and looking up. I'd be like, what the fuck did I get myself into? Her current, her current boyfriend, my daughter, was like, hey, he's afraid to meet you, so can you just talk to him on FaceTime one night so it won't be awkward to meet him in person? Okay. She was like 17 at this time, 16. I was sure. like, yeah. So she comes in the room one night, and she's like, dad, this is Zach or whatever. Yeah. And uh, she got him on FaceTime. I said, hi, Zach. And he doesn't answer because there's a lag in the audio, so he doesn't mm-hmm. answer for a couple seconds. I said, answer me, bitch. Like, yeah, whatever. And he was like, hi. Like, yeah. My daughter was like, dad, stop. And I was like, I'm just kidding, man. And she was real mad about it. And then... uh when he came over, I would put him to work. It was so great. I would be yeah. like, uh, I'd be like, hey, I need you to uh, sweep downstairs, buddy. I'll go up and get Aaliyah. And he was like, uh, okay, I'd give him a vacuum and I'd make him work. And I would go up and get my daughter. And then I would come back down and be like, hey, man, do you mind load the dishwasher for me? And just put him to work the entire time. It's the funniest thing ever just to see what he would, how far he would go with it. It was so great. But uh, yeah, she's talking about getting married. I sure oh. hope not soon. She's only 22, but uh, I hope she waits. I got married at 19. And there you go. Bad, bad idea, man. Well, it worked out for me. Me and my wife moved in together. I was 21. She was 20. And 20 years later, we're still, well, yeah, we're happily married. <laughs> I shouldn't say we're not. <laughs> so you're married, Luke. Well, at least uh, you probably got a good one then. You weren't married to some psycho woman. So. Well, she's South American, so. Eh. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, the psycho is definitely a. Uh, Definitely uh, negotiable at that point. Oh, before I get myself in more trouble, on that note, he's Sean. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.